Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that appeared offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his, his very own, eager to do what is right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The city that surrounds me seems broken beyond repair. Lost ones wander the streets. Evil lurks in the alleys. Sadness afflicts households. Grief omits no one. Satisfaction evades the hungry. Contentment fades away. There's a city that is coming. Grace has written my name there. The right to enter, earned by no one. The right to stay, no one deserves. The sun is the gate of entry. His blood, the price that was paid. That city gives hope to my journey. That city brings comfort to my care. That city gives answers to my questions. That city gives reason to my efforts. That city gives me peace to sleep. I was made for that city. Church, let's pray. Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for what you are doing in this place. God, we, we praise you. We sing our hallelujahs. Father, I pray that we as a people are people that long for you, that we want you and want your presence in our lives and our homes in this Christmas season. Father, I pray that we are a people that desire you, Father. This morning, as we open your word and we look into it, I pray that our hearts are turned towards you. Father, may you speak through me. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so who in here is excited about Christmas? Okay, the first service, I was going to say that this service did better than the first, but they, like, they did better than y'all. Who in here is ready? Who in here is ready for Christmas? All right, very good. I even bought one of these, this little Santa mask, and I couldn't even believe that I would be wearing that. I saw your, my son is over there smiling because he's got one too, all right? We saw this at Dollar General, and I thought, man, I really want one of those, so... Um, Confession time. Who here has their Christmas tree already up? Wow. That is, I, yeah, wow. That's like most of you. Who, who had it up before Thanksgiving? 
Yes. Okay. So we did, <laughs> we did too. So we actually have four trees and I got to be honest, I am not a big fan of decorating. Uh, I don't, I don't like it. My wife sometimes has to fight me for bringing down all the lights and doing all that kind of stuff, but I just so love it when it's done. Right. And my wife has done an awesome job making sure that it is beautiful for us and our boys. And uh, I'm just so grateful for that. There, there's something magical, right? right? About the anticipation of Christmas, right? There's something about like, even as a young child wanting and and can't wait for Christmas. And I don't think that we, even as adults, we ever lose that, right? We, We just can't wait for Christmas. There's something about Christmas that reminds us that all things, all things will be made better. All things will be made new. And Christ has come and all things will be better. I told this story of my daughter and I told her last night, uh, I'll tell you up front, my daughter told me that this story wasn't true. <laughs> so, um, but it really happened. Um, we, were, uh, uh, we were talking in staff meeting and I told the staff about this story. And um, so I want to tell you guys. So uh, this year has been tough on kids. It's been tough on my daughter and teenagers and everybody around that age. And um, so this year, my daughter, she was turning eight and um, Pickens County decided to shut down school um, the day before her birthday. And um, she was just so excited about going to school and seeing all her friends and giving them a cupcake and a bag of candy and having them sing a happy birthday to her. And she just couldn't, I mean, she couldn't wait. She talked about this for weeks. Well, it didn't happen. And not only did that happen, Kristen and I had to take the, make the hard decision um, to have our, her birthday party, which was that Saturday, a family-only birthday party. And so her friends didn't come and stuff like that. And um, guys, it, it was really tough to watch her. Uh, she didn't understand everything. And uh, it was just hard to watch her cry and uh, be upset. And so after all the tears were done and, and the, um, the sadness faded, she came back out of her room and uh, she sat in my lap and she just looked at me and just softly said something that I, that I latched onto. She just softly said, I can't wait for Christmas. And you know, hearing something like that from an eight-year-old isn't surprising, all right? We all, I mean, kids want Christmas to be here. We're all excited about Christmas to be here. But there was something different. There was something different this year about my daughter saying, I I can't wait for Christmas. I could hear it in her voice. I could see it in her eyes. And I could tell that she knew that if she could just make it to Christmas, things would be better. All these things that had made her depressed and had upset her so much, they would fade away. And for this little girl, she needed Christmas and everything good that comes with it. She couldn't wait. And church, I submit to you this morning that you and I, we need Christmas this year. We need Christmas now, I want to talk to you as a youth guy for a second. I've been working with youth for a long time and, uh, and teenagers, and um, this year has been tough on teenagers. It's been tough on, on our younger people. I want to go over just a few things. And 
Depression is just on the rise. Prescription pills and drugs are on the rise. Suicide and suicide attempts have skyrocketed. Guys, this, this Halloween alone, October 31st, uh, in one hospital in a 12-hour 12 uh, 12 span, there were eight suicide attempts from teenagers that came into one hospital. Um, that was in San Francisco. Eight in one 12-hour span. Um, the depression and the darkness is here. Domestic and child abuse is on the rise. The feeling of hopelessness and despair has skyrocketed. People, especially our younger people, have turned to things like pornography to soothe their longing for interaction with people. And worldwide, one of the largest pornography sites that's out there that actually submits uh, some data, they have, they have reported insane traffic, daily traffic increases. And from America, their daily traffic since the shutdown, since the coronavirus has hit, daily traffic to this one site has increased by 20%. It's actually over 20% daily traffic. In, in uh, Italy, it's up almost 60% daily and in Spain, it's up over 60% daily traffic to this one site. People are searching for something to soothe their souls, something to occupy their minds, something other than what they see on the news. And church, your lost friends, our young people, we are looking for something. We're searching for hope. And the real tragedy of all of this is that many of them find hope in the things that won't last. They're doing the opposite of what 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us to do. We're not to fix our eyes on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, right? Why? Because the Bible tells us that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if you've been listening to Jeff and Jason the last couple of weeks, it's all going to burn right anyway, right? It's all going to burn. Your friends in this community, this world, we need something eternal. We, we, need, we need something that is going to last. And the last thing that you and I need is a constant barrage of hopeless news media, the, these talking points. We cannot find our hope and our joy there. We need truth, church. People today need eternal truth. We need to be reminded of heaven. We need to be reminded that we're just passing through this earth. We need to be reminded of the hope that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. So in the end of this year, the end of 2020, as, as Christmas arrives, we need the message of Christmas. It's the truth and hope that is found at Christmas that calls the lonely person to joy, the heavy laden to rest, and the burdened one to peace. The truth found at Christmas is what calls the sinner to repentance. It's what calls the dead to life and the hopeless man to run to his Savior. Trinity, I've been around on this planet for 38 years, but I can tell you I have never needed the beauty and the message of Christmas ever as much as I do this year. I need to hear the message of Christmas. I think we all do, right? I need to know that this, that all that this, you can fill in the blank of what this is, 
All this that we're going through here, this isn't the end. This isn't all that there is, right? There's so much more waiting for us. There's so much more than what we can see with our eyes. And Christmas reminds us of this promise. It reminds us that if we hold fast, we can just make it to Christmas, like my daughter thought in her mind. If we hold fast, there is so much more to come. And you know, one of the greatest tragedies of all this political mess that our country is going through is the most difficult thing for us as American city, as citizens is to figure out what is true, right? What is true? In our culture and in our environment today, it's hard to know what is true and what is false. It's hard for citizens to know what's true about the things that are even going on in their own country. Guys, listen. This is where it gets good. As citizens, as citizens of heaven, as citizens of the kingdom of God, you know the truth. You know the eternal truth. We have the truth. We have the eternal truth. And I may not know exactly who won this election I may not know all that, but I know who wins in the end. And I know the one who came. And I know that he will be coming again. And he has won. And my hope and your hope, I pray, is in him. Place your hope in Jesus. So we may have political leaders that will lead us astray. We may have news outlets that don't exactly tell us the truth. But God will never lie to us. His word will never lie to us. I want you to look at Titus 1, 1 and 2. This is the very beginning of Titus. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Now, church, you may see this as a small point to make, but guys, it is actually a huge, huge point to make. Your God, our God, the God of the Bible, the God that we serve, he will never lie to us. I want you to think for a just just a second, how scary that would be if we did have a God that just would lie to us occasionally. We couldn't trust. That's a terrifying thought. Our God will never lie to us. And when we read the introduction that Paul has here in Titus, he's basing his entire letter on this one truth that God will never lie to his people. Everything that he says is true, he can be trusted. And it's such a contrast to our day to day, our day to day, correct? It's such a contrast. It's hard to trust anyone. But it's also a contrast to Paul in his day. You see, we read here uh, that there is a reason why Paul is saying who never lies. There's a reason why Paul starts this letter that way to Titus. We see in verse 5 that Titus is in Crete. Now, Paul had left him there to help organize the churches and appoint elders, but Crete had a reputation. And in Titus 1.12, Paul quotes one of their poets, one of their writers that is from that land. And this is what he says. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. 
evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul is starting his letter to Titus, and he says, Titus, I know that you are living in a land where no one can be trusted. And it seems like they are all liars. But Titus, I don't want you to forget, I don't want you to forget this, that your God will never, ever lie to you. You know why this is so important and why Paul starts here? Because you and I cannot have hope in something that we don't trust. You and I cannot have hope in something that is not trustworthy. We can't place or shouldn't place our trust in something that isn't real. And our hope is not built on fables Our hope is built on the truth that the grace of God appeared to all mankind. Our hope is the only hope the world will ever know. Now listen listen to me close here. Our hope is not just our hope. Let's look at the verse. Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Hear what it says? It says, all people. Well, now, let's look at what this means. Christmas is not just for us. Guys, this message of Christmas is for everyone. And, And church, I'm going to beg you this year not to shy away from spreading the good news during Christmas. And you may have some neighbors down your street, or you may even have a family member that we call Scrooges that don't want to hear the message of Jesus and don't want to see your bright lights and don't want to see your Christmas tree up. But guys, spread the good news of Jesus. They need to hear it. This is, this is the hope for all men. Don't, don't shut your mouth. Open your mouth and spread the good news. Spread the good news. Church, I'm just going to beg you, this year, make it a commitment to you and God that you will share this news, the news, the beauty, and the message of Christmas with someone that you know and you love. Now, the word appeared in this verse is the word epiphania in Greek. And no doubt that you probably recognize already what that, where we get our word epiphany from that. And in ancient um, literature, ancient Greek literature, this, u- this word was used to describe uh, the, what happens when the dawn comes up and, and, and the sun rises and dispels the darkness of the world. And what Paul is saying here is that at the birth of Jesus, the epiphany of God's grace suddenly burst into the world and dispelled the darkness and offers salvation to everyone. Some, of, some people have used this verse right here to argue for universalism, and that's the idea that God will save all men or every single person. Just read it. You can read it. It says, for, God, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And this is not what Paul means right here. Paul is showing that God's grace is a worldwide thing. Jesus didn't come for just one ethnic group, right? He came for people of all mankind, all tongues, tribes, and nations. The truth is that many people reject Christ's appearing. People often reject this light of grace that has come to us. Let me show you. There's a really popular passage we're all going to know. John 3, 16. 
So, yes, it is true that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes and amen. That is true. But it is also true if we look three verses later, we see that men reject this Savior. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They love the darkness rather than the light. And I want you to get the picture that is painted for us. And have you ever been in a dark room and for a while and then somebody comes in and you're not ready for it and they flip on the lights and what's the first thing that you do? You hide your face, you say, ouch, that hurts. Like, and you, you want them, you yell, hey, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. It hurts because the light hurts us. We, we simply want the light to go away. And God's light of grace and holiness, it has appeared and people's evil deeds are exposed. And they simply want the light to go away. And we got to be honest because we felt that same way too once, right? When our sins were exposed and we were convinced that we were a sinner for the first time and in need of a savior, sometimes the light hurts us to heal us. It reveals our sin, shows us our guilt and our need for shame so that we can turn to the Savior. The light will hurt before it heals. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. I love this. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, I think it is important that we remind ourselves that we have been washed, sanctified, and justified. When was the last time you thought back on your former ways of living and you thanked God for saving you from your old life? your old way of thinking, your old path, your old darkness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When was the last time you really thanked God for making you a new creation? The advent of Jesus Christ has made all of this possible for you. This is why Christmas is so important. And I pray this Christmas season that we were reminded that we would still be dead in our sins and trespasses if this Christ had not come. You and I would not have any hope if this Christ had not come. But we still struggle with the body of flesh, don't we? Praise God that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Titus 2, 11 through 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Church, listen here. What this is saying is grace is not a one-time thing. 
Grace is not something that you just, you just received at one point and it, it kind of goes away and you don't need it again. No, grace is not ju- just something that we got when we got saved. No, if you are a Christian and if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul is telling us right here that grace should still be having an effect and training you today. God didn't just save you to leave you in your sin. And I want you to think about this for a second. What was it that God saved you from? And certainly it is true that God saved us from hell. We know that. Yes, praise God. But he he also saved us from his wrath, right? But isn't it true that he also saved us from our sin? Isn't it true that he also saved us from that? Look at Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let me ask you a question. Are you walking in this newness of life still today? Are you walking in that? Is grace, is the grace of God still active in your life? Is it still changing you and training you to live a godly life? Last week, Jeff preached from 2 Peter, and, and so much of what we find in our passage today in Titus is, is what we see in 2 Peter. And there's a major, major theme that we find all over the place. And it's like a formula for how that we are to live on this planet after we have been saved and we've received grace. And it's found in last week's passage. It's found in this week's passage. Let me show it to you. And we've got it on the screen, I believe. Now that you have received grace, now that you have received grace, lay down, live out, and look ahead. Lay down, live out, and look ahead. Lay down your old self and your old ungodly passions. Live out the new life that Christ has called you to, and look ahead to the day that you will be with your Savior. Now, we can see this in the text. Let me show it to you. So, now that you have received grace, this is verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Lay down, verse 12a, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, live out and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In verse 13, look ahead, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me and you like things to be simple, because I get confused a lot about things, This formula is simple, and there's no need to complicate this formula. And have you ever wondered, God, what do you want for me? What what is my purpose? What is it that you want me to do? Well, guys, this is a great place to start. Lay down your former way of living. Live out a pure and holy life that God has called you to. And with joy, look ahead to the day that you will be with your Savior. And this is the daily task of the believer. This is not just a one-time thing. This is the daily task of a believer. If we look at Isaiah 54, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of, dis- of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. This is the living out, right? This is the doing good works. This is the spreading the good news. Later on, that verse, he says, He awakens me morning by morning. 
He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. This is the laying down. This is the heeding and obeying God's word instead of our own word. This is morning by morning. We're laying down, living out, looking ahead. Laying down, living out, looking ahead. Laying down, living out, and looking ahead. This is what we do. And when we find ourselves in a spiritual rut, oftentimes we can look back and it's one of these things that are a little wonky. When we find ourselves in a spiritual rut, it's one of these things that we're not doing. We're not either laying down, we're not living out, and we're not looking ahead. Church, this is what grace can do in your life. Grace will cause us to put down the things that you once loved and pick up the things that you once hated and give you a desire to be at a place you've never seen and only read about in an old book. God's grace is powerful. And if you're here this morning and you are struggling with a sin that you just can't let go of, you're struggling with something and it's just got its claws in you, let me encourage you. You have a good, good, merciful, forgiving God. Don't lose heart and don't give up. The grace that is inside of you, that is still active in you, it is a powerful powerful thing. And I want you to see how powerful it is. In Romans 8, 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, once you hear that again, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For the believer out there that is struggling with their sin, guys, don't give up. Don't give up. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. There is power there. That power, that grace is alive within you. One of the greatest Christmas presents that we could receive is the, is the freedom from the power and the enslavement of sin. And guys, that is offered to us. That's offered to your family members. Oftentimes we hear of parents that are struggling with their kids that have gone off a wayward way. Guys, pray for them. There is power. There is power for them to come to Christ. This message is for them. Don't forget that in Christ, a loved one, a family member, a friend, they can come to him. Don't give up. There is hope for freedom from sin. Now, Paul doesn't go into great depth about what types of things we need to be laying down right here or even what types of things need to be lived out. Paul, just in very general terms in our passage, he simply says that grace trains us to renounce or lay down ungodliness and worldly passions. And he goes into great depths of this in other places. So we can look at Colossians, like Colossians 3, 5, uh, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, these are certainly some of the things that Paul means by worldly desires, but I think there is a bigger picture that Paul is trying to get us to see here. Now, what I want you to see is that Paul is calling us to live on a higher 
plain. Paul is calling us not to act the way that other people act, but according to God's attributes. Paul Paul is calling us to have heavenly passions and not earthly ones. Um, Do I have any hymn lovers in here? Who likes old hymns? I love, love, love old hymns. And um, as I was studying this passage, as I was reading this passage, a really old one came to me. It's funny how, the, how that happens. If you're a hymn lover, there's sometimes where you're just like, like that, man, there's an old song that goes with this. And so one of them goes with this this morning. Who has actually heard a song called I'm Pressing on the Upward Way? Okay, so I'm pressing on the upward way. This is verse 3. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Here's the chorus. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's tableland. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I love that song. I grew up singing that song, but when I was younger, I had no clue what I was singing. I had no clue what it meant, but it, it, it struck me that what this is doing right here, what this passage, what this, this, this song is calling us to do is to live like we don't belong here. We need to live on a higher plane because we don't belong here. We're to live out and conduct ourselves in a godly, self-controlled, holy way of living. And why? 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 Because when you and I live like that, we show others that this is not our home. By the way you and I live, we show others that there is so much more to come. So much more. Our godly lifestyles remind us to look ahead. If we look at verse 13, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, Jesus is the personification of hope. Hope is the man, Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus our hope, in this verse, he is also our God. Now look at what it says. It says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that says, you know, the, the Bible actually never says that Jesus was God. Well, you can bring them to this verse because it very clearly calls Jesus our God. It says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But because this man of hope was also our great God, so both God and man, he and he alone can be our Savior. This God-man is what we celebrate at Christmas, and he is our only hope. Now, is there any better thought for us to have going into this Christmas season that he is coming and he will make all things right? I don't know that there is. All things, divorce, child abuse, depression, war, tears, fears, famine, keep going. All the evils of this world, they will be no more. Is your heart heavy over the brokenness of this world? Guys, fix your eyes heavenward. Fix your eyes towards heaven. Look ahead and be filled with all hope and the joy that he offers to us. Our great God and Savior, He is coming. 
If we look at verse 14, it says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see it again in this verse? Lay down, live out. We're to lay down all sin and lawless deeds because Christ has redeemed us from them. And we're to live out good works that Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created for and they were created for us planned out in advance. God has redeemed us for this very purpose. Now, have you ever received a ginormous gift from someone? Something that like is just huge. Maybe it came at like a a timely moment in your life and when you needed it the most. And when you, if you can identify that moment, it could be something like a, a job or a car or a place to live, some money. You know, how, what was the feeling of being indebted to that person? You know, that overwhelming sense, there's just no way that I can repay this. There's no way that I can do this. In that gift, and in that moment, you and that gift giver were forever linked. And if there was any way that you could repay them, you would have, right? Guys, in Christ, you and I have received a huge gift, the best gift. And while there's no way that you and I can ever repay it, ask yourself today, are you still zealous for good works? Are you zealous for good works? Because you have been redeemed. I heard an old story about an an American uh, missionary that went to West Africa. And um, he was over there talking about redemption. He was talking about what it means to be redeemed. He was just having a really hard time for the people he was talking to, to get the concept of what it means to be redeemed. And one of his assistant that was a native of the country, he says, hey, can you help me out here? Help me think through, like, how, how can I get the people to understand redemption? And the assistant thought about it for a second. He says, well, in our language, we say that God took his head out. God took his head out. And the missionary scratched his head and he says, I, I don't really know how that is going to like get this across, but can you explain it to me? He says, certainly. Years and years ago when our ancestors would be caught into slavery, um, they would be caught and chained around the neck and they would be marched to the seashore. They'd be marched to the seaside. And as they went on this long journey in this long line with these large collars around their neck, they would pass through these villages And sometimes there would be a wealthy man or a chief from the village that would see one of their friends caught up in chains. Well, the chief or one of these wealthy men would go find anything that they had, ivory, gold, silver, bronze, anything that they had, and he would go and try and redeem his friend from the slave trade. And when he redeemed his friend from the slave trade, his neck would be released from these chains. God took their head out. Trinity, I want you to hear this. Christ has redeemed you from sin, and you are no longer a slave. Your chains are gone. It's not just a good song. It is a great truth. Your chains are gone. And you no longer have that iron collar around your neck. 
He owns you, and you are his possession. You are forever his. As we end this morning, I want to go back to verse 12. Verse 12, there's a phrase there that I think brings us so much hope. And, uh, and we kind of glossed over it and I don't want to miss it. Paul here, all throughout his letters, he encourages his people to remember that this age is passing away. This was a huge theme for Paul. This age is passing away. And just look at how he in, even introduces Galatians. Galatians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Church, do you long for the day that you will be delivered from this present evil age? It is God's desire to deliver you from this present evil age. It is God's desire to deliver you from this world. And I want to encourage you this morning to fix your eyes and your thoughts on heaven, which is your eternal home. Now, all throughout Scripture, we read of the great heroes of the faith. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, some people call it the Hall of Fame of, of Faith, the Hall of Fame of Heroes. The author of Hebrews tells us of these men. It says, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. The chapter also calls us to remember their ways and walk in them as an example for as a way for us to live. Now in chapter 11 it also does something remarkable. It says they were all seeking a homeland. They were all desiring a better country. They all knew that they were citizens of a far greater land. Look at what Hebrews 11:13 through 16 says. It says, these all died in faith. So all these people that I just mentioned to you, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised to them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been seeking that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Trinity, as you sit here this morning, do you hope and pray for a, a, another country? Do you hope and pray for another city? Are you just passing through? Do you realize that we're just strangers and exiles passing through? Are you sick for your homeland? This Christmas, I pray that you don't lose hope. Our Savior has appeared and he will appear again. There is a city coming. And by God's grace, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, by God's grace, grace has written your name there. The city that surrounds me seems broken beyond repair. Lost ones wander the streets. Evil lurks in the alleys. Sadness afflicts households. Grief omits no one. Satisfaction evades the hungry. 
contentment fades away. But there's a city that is coming. Grace has written my name there. The right to enter, earned by no one. The right to stay, no one deserves. The sun is the gate of entry. His blood, the price that was paid. That city gives hope to my journey. That city brings comfort to my care. That city gives answers to my questions. That city gives reason to my efforts. That city gives me peace to sleep. I was made for that city.